Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Pentecostal power. What happened after the cross? You understand this, when Christ died and rose again, he finished his work. When Christ's work was finished, the church's work was just beginning. And so uh, a lot of times Christianity just revolves around the cross. And we just talk about the cross and the resurrection. But that's where, you know, we, we go to the cross. We get forgiveness of sins. We look on the resurrection. We talked about the resurrection power of God that's available to us now that we're born again. But then there has to come a point, just like the disciples. Jesus didn't say, park your car at the cross and just look at the, you know, just uh, uh, build a house on Calvary or on Golgotha, the, the place of the skull, and, and make that a, memor- a memorial uh, place for, for, for where I died and just, you know, think about it all the time and, and you know, just, just constantly, constantly park your life around that. No, even Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. But now you are to tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from above. And he was referring to that Pentecostal power that happened in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says they were all together in one accord. And they were all in one place, sitting in that place praying. And the scripture says that there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the place where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire. And they all began to speak in tongues as the spirit gave them this ability. And the scripture says from that moment onward, the, the people that, I mean, you got to study in John 20. Jesus appears to them the first time. They're hiding away in an upper room with the door locked for fear of the Jews. The second time Jesus appears to them, they're still in the same room, locked up. There was a fear. There was a lack of confidence. Though they had seen Jesus rise from the dead, though they believed and though they were born again, the scripture says, he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So they were born again. But the Bible says, despite all that, They still had fear in them and they still were carried in a way in the upper room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus said, don't even try with this type of way. You know, though you're born again right now, you don't have the sufficient power of God to actually be an effective witness for me. So what does he tell them? Tarry in Jerusalem. Don't even try to get my work done. You know, the Holy Ghost is heaven's provision to get heaven's assignment accomplished on the earth. And Jesus said, without having that supply of power, there's not even a point for you to go out and try and spread the gospel. It ain't going to work. You're not going to have the power on your words. You're not going to have the level of influence in your speaking to actually persuade people that I'm alive. So he said, Terry, hold on a bit until you receive power from above. But then in Acts 1.8, he said... After the Holy Ghost comes on you, you will receive power to become my witnesses in all the earth. That's what Peter experienced. He went from someone that denied the Christ multiple times again and again into somebody that now stood boldly on the day of Pentecost in front of a crowd of raging lunatics that you know, 50 days earlier had crucified Jesus and were looking to crucify and kill all his disciples. That's why they said, aren't you his disciple? I thought I saw you in the garden. He said, no, I don't even know who he is. They were looking for those that followed him so they can pin him on the crosses right next to him. But he denied the Christ. And so he was, he was, uh, he was preserved from that. But the scripture says, That on the day of Pentecost, that same Peter that couldn't confess Christ boldly in front of a few little little girls in a campfire stands up in front of a a mob, a raging mob that, like I said, 50 days earlier had, had crucified his Christ. And the scripture says, he boldly says, men of Jerusalem, men of Israel, 
This is, this isn't, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the ninth hour of the morning. But this is that which was prophesied by Joel, that in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit. And with many words, he exhorted, and he took charge over that. I mean, think of having to calm down a crowd of 50 people is not easy. To calm down a crowd of 150 people is even harder. Thousand people. There were multiple thousands of people that were, you know, they weren't, they, they were, they were, they were mocking them. They weren't at a low decibel level. They were outward mocking them for, for, for them speaking in tongues and they thought they were drunk. I'm sure they were sneering. I'm sure they were laughing. It was a noisy atmosphere. And yet the power of the Holy Ghost that had just come into Peter's, into Peter's life enabled him to quiet down a raging crowd and then move on to then boldly preach and exhort them of how they crucified. He, he wasn't pulling punches. He said, you know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You just crucified him 50 days ago. But this Jesus, whom you crucified and murdered, he, he wasn't pulling punches. He was like, he was going all in. He said, the one you murdered, who was the prince of life, God has made both Lord and Christ. And he boldly testified in power to the point where the Bible says they were cut to the heart. They were pricked to the heart. They felt conviction come on them. And they said, what can we do to be saved? We believe. Peter's words carried power. That power wasn't accidental. That power wasn't because he was charismatic. That power wasn't because he had a great oratorical ability. That power came by the, by the Holy Ghost, the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And so we talk about the cross. We talked about the resurrection. We talk about uh, what Jesus accomplished for us, the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus' program didn't end there. He said, I'm now going to heaven, and I'm going to pray the Father who's going to send you another helper. And when he sends you the helper, the same works that you've seen me do, the same power that you've seen at display on my, in my ministry, the same way that I've cast out demons, the same way that I've healed the sick, the same way when I speak, people listen. That same power is going to come on you and the works you've seen me do, you will do and greater works than these shall you do because I'm going up to the Father. Jesus said, you know, before he was... He, he, he was talking about his crucifixion and all that. The disciples became sorrowful. They got sad because they heard that Jesus said he was going to die. And they didn't yet understand that he would rise from the dead. So they got, they got sorrowful and their sorrow was obviously a, an evident thing because Jesus said, why is sorrow filling your heart? Because I've told you these things. It's actually, Jesus goes on to say, it's actually to your advantage that I go I go away. It's actually to your advantage that I die and ascend on high. Because imagine this, Peter, James, John, all these guys, they left their businesses, they left their homes, they left a lot. They, you know, Peter said, Master, we've left everything to follow you. What, what's in it for us? And now Jesus is talking about dying and becoming some martyr? How are we supposed to carry on this work? You're the one that does the miracles. You're the one that's been doing all the supernatural. You're, I mean, we had some times where you sent us out and we saw some wonderful things, but I mean, you're the source of that power. If you go, what's left for us? How are we supposed to continue this work? Jesus said, it's actually advantageous to you. Hallelujah. It's advantageous to you. This is something the devil didn't understand. Jesus said, it's advantageous to you that I go away because if I don't go, I can't send the helper. But if I do go, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost who's going to empower you to do what, I, what I've already been doing, to carry on the missionary work. To, the baton that I have, I'm going to relay it on to you and it's not going to be a lesser Holy Ghost. It's going to be the same Holy Ghost alive on the inside of you empowering you get, to get the same job done. The devil didn't understand that. That's why... The Bible says, had he known, had he known what God was doing in Christ's crucifixion, he would have never crucified the Christ. But they didn't know. He's ignorant. He's a dumb devil. That's what I need you to understand today. People give too much credit to the devil. People think that the devil's some wise man, that he's like super smart. Yes, he's sly. The Bible says that he's crafty. He's, 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 uh, he's sneaky. He abides, he dwells in darkness and he works in darkness. He works in people's ignorance, but we're not in darkness, that we should be overtaken by him. We're not in ignorance that it should be a surprise to us the bible says we're not ignorant so that the devil's attacks should ever be 
you know, something that takes advantage over us, that we're ever at a disadvantage in life because the devil's too bright for us. No, the devil has some sort of intellect, but it's not much. The believer has the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, the wisdom of God that allows us not only to see what the devil's trying to do, but to empower us to totally disarm his attacks everywhere, everywhere that he would try to pop his ugly head up. And so the devil, as I said before, he's not some supernaturally brilliant being. People think that the devil and Jesus have like the same level of intellect. That, that the devil, you know, he's tricky and sometimes he gets his way. And Jesus, he's really smart and sometimes he gets his way. No, the God is the all-wise God. The Bible says that he's the only wise God and the one who dwells in inapproachable light. The devil is a dumb, uh, a, a dumb, foolish thing. He doesn't... He doesn't have as much intellectual prowess that many believers credit to him. And if, if he did, he would have never crucified Jesus. Because in crucifying Jesus, he thought that he had solved the Jesus problem. That he had solved this whole Christianity thing. That he had finally put away God. And that if I can, if I can wipe him out, then I, don't, I can continue on with my regular scheduled program. But instead, Jesus' death was actually, God said, it's like a seed that I'm planting. John 12, 32. If I plant a seed and it doesn't die, it abides alone. But if it dies, Jesus was heaven's seed planted into the earth. That if it dies, the Bible says, it indeed brings forth much fruit. That fruit is you and I. The devil had one Jesus to deal with. While he was on the earth, he had one problem. When Jesus died and rose again and prayed the Father and the Holy Ghost came on the scene, that Holy Spirit fell, uh, filled all the believers and has been filling all the believers since then. So instead of one Jesus running around doing miracles and casting his ugly rear end, behind, uh, rear end out of places, now he has to deal with a myriad, a, a, a multitude of people that carry the same power that was in Jesus Christ. Instead of having one problem, he has a multitude of problems. You and I being part of that problem. Who go around doing the same works Christ did because of the same power that's at work in us. That's why Pentecost is important. And I'm not going to wait for 50 days before we start to talk about the Holy Ghost. That's the problem with a lot of churches. They talk about resurrection one Sunday out of the year. And then they talk about the Pentecostal power one Sunday out of the year. And then the rest of the Sundays, they just go on into their own regular scheduled programming. And they, talk, they don't deal with those doctrines. They don't deal with... Christianity literally centers around those two main points, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the, the birth of the church and the day of Pentecost where the church was then empowered to carry on the work of Jesus Christ. So you, you ignore those two vital doctrines and you have a powerless church and that's what the devil wants. He wants nothing more than to have a powerless church so he can continue on messing people's destinies up, putting people into sick beds, making people's lives a living hell. But my brother and sister, those days are over for you and your family. From today, you're not holding to a form of godliness anymore and denying the very power of God that's able to set people free. From today, you're gonna taste and see of that that omnipotency of God, the power of the Holy Ghost, alive and well on the inside of you, and you're going to walk around as a Holy Ghost terrorizer of hell in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. So, that you, you know, you have churches that totally ignore it. You have people that start speaking in other tongues, they get, there's any type of move of God in their service, and the first thing they go to do is, is shut it down, because it's not something we're used to, it's not something people are comfortable with, it's not something that, you know, our church is traditionally known to do, who cares? Throw out your traditional programs, God's never been a traditionalist, God's always got something new, you know, you, you study it, the Old Testament the people of Israel had a problem with the father. They couldn't accept. They, they rejected Moses a lot of the times. They, they went on in their own ways. They built altars to other gods. They rejected the father. Jesus comes, and now 
They accept the father, but in the gospels, they reject, they reject the son because he's, he was something, he wasn't really new because he's the preeminent one. But to them, it was new to hear that God had a son and it was new for them to hear that, that, that God put on flesh and that he, Jesus, the, the claim that made them to pick up stones and stone him was I and the father are one. They couldn't accept, they couldn't swallow that, that swallow that revelation. So Jesus comes, now they have no problem with the father, they have no problem with Moses, they say we are Moses' disciples, but they have a problem with the son, they can't stand his claims. Then Jesus dies, rises again, and then you have the, the Holy Ghost poured out on people, and now, you know, since 1900s, there's been this uh, latter rain that's been poured out on planet earth, where you have people speaking in tongues, and, and we've had the charismatic renewal, and the gifts of the spirit, so now it's we believe the Son, we believe the Father, but this charismatic stuff, this Holy Ghost stuff, this presence of the Holy Spirit stuff, it makes people uncomfortable. We're not sure about that. Every active agent of the Godhead in history has been rejected. So it's no new thing that now you start to talk about Pentecostal power and the Holy Spirit, that you have the devil's crowd coming up and mocking it. Because understand this one thing, the devil can't do anything about the power of God. He can't do anything about the power of the Holy Ghost in the believer. He's, he's totally useless in, in challenging the power of God alive in the believer. The Bible says, greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. He's weaponless. He's powerless against the power of God. So what is he moved to do? Since he knows he can't do anything to physically disarm that power, he goes to mock it, to mock it, to stir up counterfeits of it. Because in doing that, you have people that see, you know, the nuts and the, flu the fruits and the flakes that counterfeit this stuff, and then they just throw the baby out with the ba bath water. They reject the whole thing. They see this. They see it all as as lunacy. They see it all as as this ridiculous. You know, they, uh, oh, th those are the Pentecostals. Oh, those are the charismatic. They they think us as morons and stuff because the devil puts a few bad seeds in the mix. And he allows, he exposes that, he allows people to see that, that which is not, you know, has nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. These guys are, you know, a lot of the times, you know, there's people that they, they, uh, they pick up snakes and stuff and they just, they throw them all in the same basket. They throw them all in the same group. When in reality, there's, there's no connection between me and someone that's going around picking up snakes. But the devil does that to cause mockery from the world and religious people on this thing so that people don't even venture out to even look in to whether these things are so. And it, 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 uh, it harms the people in the church, you know, predominantly I'll say it, the Baptist people, that, you know, they, they've been exposed to, to the, the strange side of this. You had that guy write the book Strange Fire, which put all the Pentecostals in one basket and just threw it all out all together. And it put a sour taste in a lot of Baptist mouth. And so they just think us as, as crazy people. In reality, when in reality, the presence of the counterfeit, the presence of the, the, the fake is proof that there's the authentic, that there's the real, that there's actually true substance to this all. And so that's what I want to I want to talk about today. The true substance of the power of Pentecost. The genuine power of God, the Holy Ghost at work in the life of a believer. I want to read this before I move on to anything else. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 and then I'm going to go through five five things that the the power of the Holy Ghost, the Pentecostal power will empower you to do. Ezekiel 37 and beginning with verse 1, the hand of the Lord came on me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the valley. Indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live again? So I said, Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I'll cause breath to enter you, and you'll live. And I'll put sinews on you, and bring flesh on you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you will live. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and bones came to bone. 
Indeed, I looked and sinews and the flesh came on them too. And the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Pause there. Ezekiel documents a time where the Lord shows him a valley full of dry bones, which was all of humanity in a dead spiritual state. Sin, sin poisoned humanity and brought us to a point of ultimate depravity. So the scripture says we were all dead in our sin. That's what those dry bones are, dead in sin. God tells Ezekiel, can they live again? Ezekiel says, I don't know, you know. The Lord says, prophesy to them. As he does it, the first thing that happens is that there's a rattling of the bones and the bones begin to come together bone to bone. Though that represented the repentance and reconciliation of humanity to God. When you repent, bone comes to bone, we've been reconnected with God, we now appear before God, holy, spotless, without reproach in God's sight by the blood of Jesus. Then he goes on to document that after that, flesh came on them. Well, that flesh, you know, when you, if you just have a skeleton, there's, no, there's a structure, but there's no form to it. When the flesh came on the bodies, Ezekiel now saw that there was a form to it. They looked like human beings again. They looked like people. That represents the form of godliness that we have. You know, you start to go to church. You start to, to, to live out a holy life. You start to have a form in your Christian walk. You start to learn to confess new things. But understand this. Until the life came in, they were just a standing dead army. It was dead religion. Like, like, Timothy, like Paul tells Timothy, they have a form of godliness, but there's no power still. And a lot of Christians are at that point. They've repented of sin. The bones come to bone. They're standing now. They have flesh on them. They have a form. They go to church. They, they know when to say amen. They know how to sing the songs. They know how to do the whole charismatic thing. But then God moves on a step further and says, now prophesy breath to them and say, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they might live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and breath came into them, which represents the Holy Spirit. And they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. The last thing that God uh, told Ezekiel to prophesy was that life would come in them. And that's Acts chapter 2. It was one thing for the church you know, for people to get to repent, it's one thing for people to get saved, it's one thing for people to go to church, it's another thing for them to be an exceedingly great army where there's life in them and that there's power that's being transmitted through them. And that's where Pentecostal power comes into place. For far too long, we've seen this generation predominantly, we've seen this generation have a form of godliness. We've seen this generation, you know, they go to church, they know how to do the whole Christian thing. They know the Christian lingo. But there has to come a point where life, Pentecostal power is birthed on the inside of them where they begin to move with God and do the impossible works of Christ that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they stood an exceedingly great army. That's what, this, that's what we need. We don't need another lesson on Christianity. This generation doesn't need another lesson on Christianity. This generation needs an empowered army that's going to go out into the highways and byways and not preach the gospel in word only, but as an army equipped with the gifts of the Spirit, bring the resurrection power of Christ to the highways and byways and not only tell the people Jesus lives, but show the people that our God is alive and He lives in us. And that's the generation you belong to. That's the army you're going to be in enlisted to today in Jesus name that power is coming on you today there's many of you I can feel it in my spirit there's many of you that you have asked God to use you you've asked God to be a, a, a puzzle piece in the puzzle that he's building and you've asked God to, to use your life to spend your life for his glory but there's a lack of power today as you listen to this broadcast that power is coming on you in Jesus name to empower you to not only have a heart for your generation, but to actually be an asset, to do something impactful for your generation in Jesus' name. Number one, what does Pentecostal power empower you to do? Number one, it empowers you to pray. So before you can, I mean, before you can even pray properly, you need this mighty baptism in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Romans 8, 
that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses when we don't know what we should pray for, know how we ought to pray. The Spirit prays with us with groanings that can't be uttered. So you can't even, the Bible says, there are times you don't know what to pray and there's times you don't even know how to pray. But the Holy Ghost prays through us, how? With groanings that can't be uttered. That's referring to speaking in other tongues. When you're praying in other tongues, you're building yourself up on your most holy faith. There's benefits to praying in the Holy Spirit. I've written down three. Number one, it charges you up. The Holy Ghost charges you up as you pray in the Holy Ghost. You're actually building yourself up like a battery that's being charged. You plug in a battery. You, maybe you have an electric vehicle. You plug it in the wall. Your battery's being charged up. Well, that's what happens when you pray in the Holy Spirit. Your battery's being charged up so that the signs of weakness and fatigue, they, they leave. And there's a new strength that comes on you. Charges you up for miracles. You know, Jesus, the Bible says that uh, he cast out spirits and cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Well, that boldness that's required to cast a demon out comes on you when you pray in the Holy Ghost. There's like a, a, a layer of thick boldness that comes on you that no matter how the devil manifests, it doesn't phase you. There's no intimidation in your heart because there's a boldness that comes on you by the Holy Ghost. That happens when you pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues, number two, enables you to pray God's perfect will. When you're praying in the Spirit, the Bible says that you are praying according to the will of God. That's in Romans 8.27. He that searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, and he prays through us with he prays through us according to the word of God, according to the will of God, rather. So when you pray in the spirit, you can't pray amiss. Remember, James said that when you pray, you have not because you ask amiss. You're asking wrongly. You're asking not according to God's will. You're, you know, there's a, there, you're just praying your own will, your own agenda, things that you want done, but there, there's no proof from the word of God that God wants you to even have those things. And as such, the Bible says you can actually pray amiss, praying with improper motives, praying, uh, you know, praying for things that that don't that God doesn't necessarily has ever promised that you can have. Well, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you don't pray amiss. You're praying right in the the bullseye of God's will. And when you pray in God's will, what does 1 John 5, 14 says? If we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the request of which we ask. So you can have confidence. Oftentimes it looks like this. I'll have something on my heart, but I might not know how to pray for it. So what I do is I pray in the Holy Ghost. While I'm praying in the Spirit, God's Spirit actually steers scriptures in my heart that deal with that, that specific situation. So now I actually have a word to stand on, the will of God, which is God's word. So when I'm asking him for it, I'm not just saying, Lord, I don't know if it's your will or not, but you know, if you don't know God's will, how could you have faith to believe, it, believe for it? The Bible says if you have no faith, then you're, uh, you're not to expect to receive anything from the Lord. So faith is not just knowing God can do it, it's knowing God's going to do it, that it's his will to do it. So when you pray in the spirit, God will actually sometimes steer up. Oftentimes it's happened to me where he steered up specific scriptures that deal with the situation at hand. And now I have his will on the situation. So when I pray it, I can have this confidence now that comes on my heart. That I'm not praying my will. This is something you already said you want me to have. And so I have faith to receive it. And so instead of begging for him, begging for him to do it afterwards, after I've prayed it once, I don't have to beg for it afterwards. I have this assurance that God is faithful, and as he promised, he's going to bring it to pass. That's what praying in the Holy Ghost does. And then number three, it refreshes you. The Bible says in Isaiah, this is the refreshing that I will refresh you with, with stammering lips and a clamoring tongue. I will speak unto my people. And that's referring to speaking in tongues. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul quotes that passage in reference to speaking in tongue. He connects the two. And the Bible says, this is the refreshing that I'll refresh my people. So when you pray in the spirit, you're actually refreshing yourself. You're actually eliminating the signs of fatigue, the signs of, 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 of weariness. You know, the Bible says we're not to grow weary in well-doing. Well, a lot of people do grow weary in well-doing. But the way you can tap into God's refreshing is by praying in the Spirit. You're like, you're connecting your wire into God's charging port where it starts to not only charge you to do, you know, to, to, to operate in God's power, but just to refresh you, to refresh you. 
You know, the Bible says that uh, God's the everlasting God. He neither wearies nor faints. So when you pray in the spirit, that same ability to not weary and not faint, which means to not give up and quit, comes on you to continue to persevere and, and uh, to continue to run the race that is set before you. Hallelujah. So what does the power of Pentecost enable you to do? No, number one in Acts chapter two, the first thing, the first thing it gave the believers power to do was to pray. They prayed in the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other tongues. God gave them this ability. That's the first thing God's power is going to give you today. And some of you, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've prayed in the, in the Holy Spirit before. But, you know, the Bible doesn't say you should just do it once. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18 that we are not to be drunk with wine in which is excess, but we should be continuously flowed in, the, continuously filled, sorry, in the Holy Ghost. Continuously, it's a continuous presence. Be being filled in the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a one-time thing. As I preach today, you might have the Holy Ghost. You, you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. But ask God for a fresh infilling. You know, David said, I will be anointed with fresh oil. Yesterday's oil ain't enough. I want fresh oil. I want fresh power. I am hungry and thirsty for a fresh move of God in my life. I want to do new things by the power of the Holy Spirit. God said, I'll do a new thing that if I told you, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even believe it. The Bible says, if you're hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. Hunger and thirst. Some of you you had a, an encounter with God in 1978, and you've just been living off that encounter. God doesn't want you to just have one encounter. He wants to give you encounter after encounter so that, you know, the early church, Acts 2, they get filled with the Holy Ghost. By Acts 4, they're already asking God for a fresh infilling. So it's, you shouldn't be prideful to the point where you say, well, no, I'm already filled with the Holy Ghost. I, almost like it's a scout's badge. I already passed that test. It ain't a scout's badge. It's a, it's a living, dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit where he fills you from day to day. Hallelujah. So number two, what does the Holy Spirit empower you to do? Empowers you to have weight on your words. Luke chapter four, listen to this. Luke chapter four. And beginning with verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So Jesus is baptized in the Holy Ghost at, at this point. You know, Jesus did no miracles. He didn't do any signs and wonders until he received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which he received when he came out of the waters and the clouds were parted and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And he's, the Lord said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, that, that was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, before that, didn't do any miracles, didn't do any healings, didn't, you know, he wasn't multiplying bread. He wasn't like, you know, that false gospel of Judas or, or no, it was the gospel of Thomas that says that he was going around, you know, uh, taking sand and making birds out of it and he'd blow in it and then the sand would come into an actual bird and he'd bring life to a, uh, uh, he was just creating things out of the sand. He was almost like this traveling magician before he came into the traveling ministry. That's not how it was. Jesus didn't, the Bible says he did. It's, there's not one miracle that's happened until John 2 where it says this beginning of signs and wonders did Jesus at Cana of Ma uh, Galilee and he manifested his, his glory to his disciples. But before that, there was no manifestation of power on Jesus' end. But listen to this. He gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. He comes into to, by the Spirit to Galilee and news of him went out throughout the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. Listen to this. Verse 16 of chapter 4 of Luke. So he comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. So they knew who he was. They knew exactly who Jesus was. He had been to that synagogue many times. And the Bible says, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So this was customary for him. It's not like Jesus' first appearance now. They never saw who this guy was before. And all of a sudden, this random guy comes out of the wilderness and starts doing... No, this is, this is someone they grew up with. He had friends, I'm sure, in children's church that he grew up with. But all of a sudden, and you know, the Bible says his custom was not only to attend the church and the synagogue, his custom was to read. He had like a part to play in the procession on the Sabbath. He, he was like an altar boy, a good altar boy. The Bible says, and this time he stands up on the synagogue and he begins to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he found the place where it was written. So he would often, I'm sure he's read Isaiah 
He had read Isaiah 61, which is what he's about to read. I'm sure he had read it before. This wasn't some new scripture. It wasn't some scripture that the Jews didn't know existed. I'm, because it was his custom from early childhood to do this, I'm sure he had already been handed the prophet Isaiah and he read from somewhere in Isaiah. But listen to what happens this time. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he begins to read. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Finishes reading, closes the book, gives it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. What changed? All of a sudden, this Jesus, who had done this his whole entire life, comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, reads a scripture he probably, most likely had read before, and this time, the eyes of everyone were stayed on him. Because when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, his words were empowered from that moment onward with spiritual dynamite that got the people's attention. That's why, and this is a prayer I always pray. This is why I fast and I pray. Because I don't want to be an ordinary preacher. I, I, there's a lot of preachers that just get up and speak. And they give TED Talks. And they give three points in a poem. And they speak their opinions. And they even read the word. But there, there's no anointing behind it. There's no power. Paul said, I didn't come with superiority of speech. I didn't come with eloquence of speech. I didn't come with this, this great oratorical ability. I didn't come with a great PowerPoint presentation with the cons and the pros of believing on the resurrection he said I came with one thing I testified of the death burial and resurrection of Christ and my preaching was in the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God and that's something I always pray Lord I don't want to be this unanointed minister that just speaks because if you preach the way I preach and you don't carry the anointing it's annoying. It's like nails on a chalkboard. You don't want to hear it. But when the anointing's on the words, it's like a magnet that attracts the people. They want to hear what you have to say. Their ears are inclined to what you have to say. Jesus, the Bible says that they marveled. You read on in Luke 4. It actually says they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. The, lo the words that were now loaded with grace. It wasn't some, uh, you know, some lesson that he was giving. He wasn't some boring teacher. There was a weight of God's presence and power on every word that he spoke. Jeremiah said it this way. Has not thy word been like a fire on my mouth and like a hammer that breaks the mold into pieces? And that's what I've prayed to the Lord. Lord, I don't want to be an ordinary minister. I don't want to be someone who just talks, who gives talks, who just sits on a stool with ripped jeans and, and, and a soy latte in his hand and just shares his talks and his words. I want to be someone who, a minister, who carries resurrection power, that when I open up my mouth to speak, you fill it with your power, and it results in miracles. It results in signs and wonders. It results in the captives being set free. Hallelujah. That's what happened to Jesus. That's what happened to Peter. Peter couldn't confess Christ. Now he stands and he preaches. A whole crowd is settled. And they listen to Peter preach. And they're pricked to the heart. What did that? What did that? It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I can do nothing. I could do nothing on my own initiative. Only what the Father does through me can I accomplish. Well, if Jesus could do nothing, and Jesus couldn't convince the crowds, how foolish and prideful it would be for me to go out and try and do ministry without the anointing and think I can get the job done. Try and do ministry without the power of Pentecost alive and at work in me and get the same results. You want Book of Acts results? You got to do Book of Acts stuff. You got to follow the Book of Acts program. You can't come out with your own program and get the same works of Christ. You want to duplicate Christ's works? Then you've got to subscribe to his terms and his conditions. You cannot duplicate the works of Christ without first duplicating what he carried. And you can't do it on your... You have to open up your hands wide and say, Lord, I'm helpless in my own flesh. I can do nothing by myself, but I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That anointing is coming on you today. Some of you have tried to convince loved ones 
friends and relatives, and there's been no power on your words. You've just been giving good arguments. It's not an argument that's going to convince them. It's not a good uh, debate that's going to bring them to Christ. It is the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, released through your mouths, that's going to cause them to be convicted of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And that supernatural power is being is is clothing you today in Jesus' name. Jesus' words carried weight. The apostles' words carried weight. Your words will carry weight in Jesus' name. Bible says, let, let no corruptible speech come out of your mouth, but only what is good for edification, that it might impart grace to them that hear it. That's what happens when you carry the Holy Ghost. There's an impartation of grace when you speak. When you speak, there's an impartation of power that encourages, that edifies, that inspires. There's life in your word. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life and it quickens people's spirits. When you get the Holy Ghost, that same ability comes on you to quicken people. When you speak, when you speak, that's, that's why I, you know, I did a broadcast recently on the spirit of faith. Notice that it's the spirit of faith. It's the spirit of faith. It's not you trying to believe. It's the spirit of faith. There's a lot of people that practice confession. So not only does the Holy Ghost empower your words in preaching to others, but the Holy Ghost will empower your words of faith. So it's not just you, you know, trying to maintain a good attitude through it all. No, there's, there's a, a substance on the inside of you that empowers you to believe and then speak in light of what you believe. That's what those two Jewish boys, those Hebrew boys did. In Numbers chapter 13, Joshua and Caleb, the rest, they all saw the same land. Ten came back and said, we're never going to get possession of that land. They had the spirit of faith. The Bible said they had another spirit. It was the spirit of faith. And the Holy Spirit enabled them to say, yes, the giants are big. See, faith doesn't deny the realities. It doesn't challenge the, it doesn't challenge the, the 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 credibility of the problem it doesn't it's not us putting our heads in a in a hole somewhere and just ignoring it and hoping these things pass by faith understands there's giants in the land they said the giants are indeed in the land the, the walls they're right they are fortified walls but they said if god is on our side we'll by all means take possession of the land it was the Spirit of God that empowered them to speak that. You don't think they got discouraged in the flesh? I'm sure discouragement start, tried to settle in. I'm sure when they saw the, 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 the size of the walls and the, the size of the giants, that they, they got a little disheartened at the fact of the, the opposition that stood in their way. But the Spirit of God empowered them to speak a different report. And because they spoke a different report, their report was different. Their reality was different. Their testimony was different. Because while everyone else was cut off from accessing the land, God said, but Joshua and Caleb will inherit the promised land. Empowers your words. Paul in Acts chapter 13. I mean, think of it this way. Acts chapter 13, Elymas, the false prophet, sees Paul. Hears Paul. Uh, here's Paul preaching the gospel, tries to persuade Sergius Paulos against Paul's words. What does Paul do? The Bible says, Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit spoke to Elymas and said, you full of the devil and all deceit. God will put a, a veil of blindness on you from now on. You'll not see the, the sun for a time. And the Bible says, scales came on his eyes. The Bible says, takes note, before Paul even spoke, it said, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit said. And then when he spoke, the man, the man ended up having to be led out of the place with a, uh, by a hand. He had, to, he had to get someone to carry him out because Paul's words came true. Why? Because they were spirit-empowered words. Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke, said, you full of all deceit, you son of the devil, how long will you make crooked the straight ways of the Lord behold the hand of the Lord comes on you and you'll be blind for a time the reason why power came behind that word to actually bring that thing to pass was because the, the secrets in the word he was filled with the Holy Ghost because he was filled with the Holy Ghost his word 
His words produce. His words were power-packed to actually produce, to produce what, what, what he said. So number two, empowers your words. Number three, destroys the yoke. This is my favorite one. Acts 10, 38. You know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The Bible says God was anoint, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. And as a result, he went about doing good, letting the captives free, breaking the yokes of captivity over their necks. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, it shall come to pass in that day that the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing, speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit is a yoke-destroying anointing. And I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it now. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you power to cope with the devil. It gives you power to destroy the work of the devil in your life. And the Bible doesn't say the yoke will be broken because of the anointing. Because you can break something in two. You know, I can break something in two, and then we can glue it back together. But when something's destroyed, it can't come back together. The anointing is a destroyer. Doesn't, it's not a breaker. If I went into your house and I broke your plate, your fine china, you can glue it back together. If I took a sledgehammer and started to whack away at it, it doesn't matter how much time you spend. If I brought it to powdered dust, you can't bring that thing back to life again. Jesus' anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, doesn't break the yoke. It destroys. It, it crushes it to powder so that it can never come back to life again. Think of it this way. The Hebrew picture of the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. If you study the actual Hebrew picture that Isaiah is trying to uh, depict, it actually signifies it actually signifies uh, some uh, the the neck of the cow or the oxen getting so thick that the yoke breaks off, and that same yoke can never come back on because the neck's too fat for the yoke to come back on. That's what the anointing of the Holy Spirit does. It causes you to be so supernaturally fat and strong. It's like having, you know, you watch like an episode of Cops and they got some seven foot two guy that's 340 pounds that gets arrested and they can't take those little wee handcuffs and put them on him. They're too small. They have to get like customized handcuffs or those tie wraps to, to handcuff him and put him in the back of the cruiser. That's what the anointing does for you. You've become too big. Your hands, your wrists, <coughs> your neck is too fat for the, any of the devil's handcuffs to ever work on you again. Oh, hallelujah. That tells you the anointing doesn't only break you free from the attack of the devil. It empowers you so that you're never again a victim of the attacks of the devil. If you're grateful for that, why don't you type amen in the chat? Hallelujah. It destroys the yoke. I mean, this is the distinction between Christianity and every other religion. What distinguishes the believer, the born-again believer, is the yoke-destroying anointing that's in us. Without that power in us, we're just like everyone else. We're just like every other religion. Teal Osborne goes to India, preaches the gospel. Doesn't, he, he was a Baptist missionary, didn't know the power of Pentecost. Nobody got saved. He was there for six months. He comes back, wanted to quit the ministry. He goes and hears a minister preach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Gets filled with the Holy Ghost. Sees the power of God at work in that minister. Where he would just cast out devils with a, a, a very, very uh, simple command. He goes back on the missions field and started to see miracle signs and wonders. And the results he wished for before, he started to realize now. He, he tried to debate with the Muslims in India before and the, the Hindus in India. They took out the Muslim guy he specifically debated on this one occasion, took out his Quran. It had, it had a beautiful, you know, uh, gold trim on his Bible. He had a nice leather-covered book. He even had the little ribbons. And they started, Teal Osborne quoted one scripture. The Muslim man actually went to the exact scripture in his, in his Quran. And it was almost word for word because much of the Quran... Uh, is, is biblical documentation. Much of what is spoken in the Quran mirrors what's spoken in the Bible because he, uh, Muhammad used you know, the law of Moses and all that in the prophets. So he, he felt powerless. He felt like he couldn't do anything. He gets the power of the Holy Ghost, goes to the same region, and I don't, out, you know, Daisy, his wife, and Teal Osborne probably saw more people want to the Lord as a couple than any other couple in human history. 
because they had that Pentecostal power at work in them. And they started to see the yokes of sickness, the yokes of sin and addiction being broken off the people. Paul said it this way. My gospel didn't come in word only. It came in the display of God's power. He, hadn't, he ends up saying in Romans 15, 19, he said, in the power of the Holy Spirit, from Eilie Rickham down to Jerusalem, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, in many signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the power of Pentecost, you can only preach a half gospel. You can tell people that, you know, their sins are forgiven, they'll make heaven, but they're going to have to endure the attack on the earth. The power of Pentecost empowers you to give a full gospel presentation that not only can you make heaven, but I've been sent as a minister of God's power to break you free, to bind the work of the devil on your life and to loose God's power to restore what the devil has stolen from you. That's what the Pentecostal power empowers you to do. Not only to break you free, but then once you've been free, Jesus said, freely you've received, now you can go out and give. Now you can go out and, and, and distribute that power. That's what we are. We're authorized distributors of Holy Ghost power on the earth. So that's how Paul saw himself to be. He didn't go to Malta and, you know, Publius' father was sick with dysentery and fever. And he came to Paul and said, hey, Paul, you think you can come and pray for? He said, well, no, we'll just pray he gets saved. But, you know, on the earth, he's going to have to struggle with that sick. He did. He saw himself as a distributor, an authorized, certified distributor of heaven's power. And so he went in. Not only, I'll do you one better. I'll not only... Uh, we'll not only uh, we'll not only get him saved. We'll not only preach the gospel to him so that he can see that his sins are forgiven. I'm gonna break him free from that fever. He's gonna live and not die and tell the works of the Lord. This generation doesn't another need doesn't need another lesson in Christianity. This generation needs a fresh demonstration of Holy Ghost power. Without the Holy Ghost, the best the church can do is become a referral center, and we could just go out. Referring people to specialists. When in reality, the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a specialist in every area. They're sick, the Holy Ghost covers that. They're in bondage to sin, power of the Holy Ghost empowers you. The Bible says, to set the captive free. Captive to what? To sin. I'm, I'm, I'm irritated by the amount of people that are still, call themselves Christians, and are captive to sin. I'm no longer a captive to sin. When I got filled with the Holy Ghost, man, I'm not saying I don't get tempted. Temptation doesn't, it doesn't even move me. It doesn't, I'm not saying this to boast. I'm just trying to show you. Whatever preaching you've heard that tells you, you know, we're all going to live in sin. How many of you know we're all going to sin every day? That type of preaching is powerless to actually set people free from the captivity of sin. I'm not like those preachers. I've come to tell you today that whatever addiction, sinful habit, or chain hell has brought on you, that it feels like you can't stop doing it. The power of the anointing is on you right now to set you free. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is half free. And no, is fully free and free indeed. And you're going to have that freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Destroys the yoke. If you're sick in your body today, and you've, you've been told that Jesus is only concerned with you making heaven, he didn't send the Holy Spirit. He didn't have to send the Holy Spirit to the church if all he was concerned with was you making heaven. Because the Holy Spirit could have convicted people of sin, righteousness, and judgment on his own. He sent the Holy Spirit to, to, to break you free from the work of the devil and then empower you to do the same to those around you. If all he wanted was for you to make heaven, the Bible says it's the piercings of his hand that our sins are forgiven. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. All of it was done at the cross. Why did I call this the cross to Pentecost? Because Christianity doesn't end at the cross. It moves on to Pentecost. It moves on. I said it before. When Christianity begins at the cross, that's when you get saved. But Christianity spreads through Pentecost. It's where you become useful. It's where you become a weapon in God's hands to actually continue on the work 
to the four corners of the earth. Number four, what does the power of Pentecost do? It impacts, it imparts boldness into people. The Bible says in Acts 4.13, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. And the place where they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says that the Holy Ghost gives boldness to speak. You know what? You do a Hope Fest crusade like we do. And you have people that come in that have never been stepped foot in church. Some people, they look like meth addicts, man. They're, they're, they're just, you know, they look like drug addicts. Scratching their wrists, scratching their arms, walking to and fro. They're uneasy. Then you have other people that came with their kids that, that, that don't believe in, in the gospel. They, they've only heard the nasty side of what uh, the Catholic Church did back in the day and all the, you know, whatever. And they just stare at you when you start preaching like, oh, this guy's a religious fanatic. You know, in the flesh, it's easy to just like tone it down a bit and, and, and change your approach. But the Holy Spirit, you know, what did God tell Jeremiah? Don't be afraid of their faces. The Holy Spirit empowers you to not be afraid of anybody's faces. You know, Paul, he's in Athens. He's preaching the resurrection. And the Bible says that they called him a madman. And they called him crazy and they called him foolish. And that didn't discourage him. What kept him undiscourageable? It was the power of the Holy Ghost in him. It gave him a boldness to keep preaching in spite of how the people reacted, in spite of how the people uh, saw him to be. He didn't care about their opinions. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Luke 3.16, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water unto repentance, but one is coming after me who's mightier than I, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Well, part of the fire of the Holy Spirit is to burn off, uh, it's to, bear, to burn off your ability to care about what other people think about you. The Holy Spirit's fire, it burns off the chaff. It burns off your caring about what other people think about you. It burns off the insecurities. It burns off the... The, the, the intimidation factor, when you look at people that are shaking their heads and saying, this guy's crazy, it, you don't care. You, you, it doesn't get to you because the fire of the Holy Ghost has totally purified you of those emotions and those feelings so that all, the only thing left is boldness and loyalty to the message of the gospel. I, I, I saw someone post this on Instagram yesterday, I reposted it. Listen to this. At Bashoff, who's a great man of God in South Africa. He wrote, share your faith without condemnation or apology when you visit with your friends and family because their souls matter more than senseless conversations. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Empowers you to share your faith no, no matter of what their opinions, no matter what you think they're thinking about you because you're looking to the end, the end result. That ultimately, their opinions about you are, are pale in comparison to our responsibility of sharing the gospel with them so that they make heaven. The Holy Spirit puts your eyes on the final product. That there's a real hell. There's a real hell. And so you don't care what they think of you right now. You're, you know that there's a Mac 18-wheeler truck coming their way, and you're going to do everything you can to get them out of the way so they don't get flattened by it. Keeps your eyes on the right perspective. Focus on the right thing. It imparts boldness to you. Look at David. The Spirit of the Lord comes mightily upon him in Acts chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. From that moment onward, he challenges a, a lion and he challenges a bear. What could get a teenager... Who, you know, first of all, it wasn't even his sheep. It was his father's sheep. It takes, the lion takes one of his sheep in its mouth and is attacking it. What would get a teenager who, first of all, our basic instinct is survival. And yet, all of that went out the door. This teenage crazy kid called David goes and tackles a lion, cracks its mouth open, and takes the lamb away. What kind of bold, is that natural boldness? Nobody, as crazy as you might be, nobody challenges a lion especially some little skinny teenage kid. Yet there was something that came on David after he got anointed with the Holy Spirit in 1 Samuel 16 that put in him an I don't care what's against me, I'm going to win. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Then he goes on to tackle a, a bear. And then finally Goliath doesn't even face him. Doesn't even, there's not one point where David is like, Saul, actually, you know what? On second thought, I will take that armor. He doesn't even care. He goes and he actually charges towards Goliath. Doesn't tippy-toe around it. Doesn't find some strategy. You know, where can I hide out? Is there a bush somewhere? He charges him head on and says, I'm going to cut your head off. Where did that come from? Only the Holy Ghost could have done that. Only the Holy Ghost could have done that. Elijah has this great, great, powerful experience on Mount Carmel where he calls fire down from heaven. Then Jezebel puts out a, 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 bound, a bounty on his head. And the, the, I don't know what happened between Mount Carmel and that news getting into Elijah's ears, but something somewhere along the line, all the, the boldness he had on Mount Carmel left him. And he fled to the caves and he said, I alone am left, just kill me, Lord. He's like, can I come up? I'm done. I'm done. She's put a, 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 a warrant out for my arrest or a bounty for my head. Dead or alive, she wants to see my head. And he lost all his boldness. Then he has an encounter with the fire of God in that cave. The Bible says he heard the word of God. He had an encounter with the spirit of the Most High. And then uh, Elijah ended up leaving that cave a brand new man. Because when they came to Mount Carmel and they said, hey, we've come to arrest you on Jezebel's behalf and King Ahab's behalf. He said, if I be a man of God, fire comes down and consumes you. Everything changed for Elijah. There was not another moment in his life till he got taken up in chariots where it even, even uh, indicates that he had any type of fear in his heart. There was a newfound boldness that came in him. Some of you watching right now, you started off good. You were bold to share your faith. But somewhere down the line, I don't know what happened, but you lost that boldness. You lost that first love that caused you to speak the word of God and the gospel to unsaved people. No matter what they care, thought about you, no matter what they said about you, that first love boldness is coming back into your heart today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And number five, and I finish with this. It empowers you for living holy. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of holiness. He empowers you to live a holy life. The Bible says in Luke 3.16, I quoted it before. He's the Holy Ghost in fire that burns up the chaff. Burns up the chaff. What does that mean? All the, all the, 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 the sinful lusts of the flesh the sinful desires the sinful appetites the fire of god goes to purge you the bible doesn't say he just forgives you of sin hebrews 1 says he purges us of sin how do you purge fire it purifies he, the bible calls him the refiner where he purifies his people so that we can come forth shining even brighter than pure gold purified gold a refiner you know i heard this one time that uh, when does, you know, some guy asked the refiner and said, when do you know that the gold is pure and it's refined? He says, when I can see my reflection off the gold in the fire, that's when I know it's good, it's time to take it out. Well, the Holy Ghost fire does exactly that. It, it, it purges you. It, it burns off the sinful human nature that kept on causing you to backslide, cause you to take steps backwards and all that. And then it imparts into you the very image of God. That's what the fire of God does. And God's fire won't stop until he sees his very image in you. Hallelujah. So what happened to Samson. Samson was bound with two new ropes, which represents sin. But when the fire fell on Samson, what happened? The ropes burnt off. The Holy Spirit came on Samson and the fire of God burnt off the ropes. Whatever sinful ropes that have kept and bound you in. Whatever sinful addiction that you've never been able to break free from, whatever whatever demonic hold that has kept you in this vicious cycle of sin, today in Jesus' name, the fire of God consumes it. As you receive a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit, the things that you had no power over. The Bible says it's by the Spirit we put the death, the deeds of the flesh, which is, you know, idolatry, which is sin, drunkenness, addictions, whatever. All those things through an encounter with the Holy Ghost right now. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is touching many of you as we speak. 
through an encounter with the Holy Ghost right now, all of those sinful desires that you've never seemed to break free from are being put to death. The arrival of the Holy Ghost in you right now marks the exit of every sinful lust and desire. I'm not saying you'll never have another temptation anymore, but the temptation will be, it'll be, it'd be like someone coming up to me as a male and saying you're pregnant. It'll be foolish. Won't even be something I take into consideration. In Jesus' name, that's the power you're going to walk in from right now. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. If you're watching right now, you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to do so right now. I want you to pray this with me. Pray, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord. I turn from sin and I turn to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. And I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, I am saved. My name's written in heaven. And I'm not going backwards, only forward from today. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. Salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. I want to hear from you. We're going to send you a package free of charge uh, just to welcome you into the family of God. For everyone else that's watching right now, and for those that I just prayed for, I'm going to pray for a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit that come on you right now as we speak. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, I pray the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost come on you. That same thing that they experienced on the day of Pentecost, which, G which Peter said, this promise is for you and to your children's children, to as many as would call on the name of the Lord. If you've called on the name of Jesus and you're saved, then you are entitled to this, to this blessing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I loose that baptism, that mighty baptism into your, into your life right now. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you'll never be the same again. And every, every hindrance of the devil, everything that looks like darkness in you, as the light of the Spirit enters into your life. All of those things bow out. They leave. They flee. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. You're not going to struggle with sin. You're going to live in victory over sin. Your words are going to carry weight from this moment onward. Your body's going to be quickened and refreshed to run the race that is set before you. You're not going to grow weary. God's refreshing you now with a mighty refreshing encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says times of refreshing will come by the presence of the Lord. The presence of God is freshening you up in Jesus' mighty name. All signs of fatigue, all signs of weariness. The Bible says he gives power to them that are weak and strength to them that lack, to, to them that lack might. Whatever strength you lack, God's perfecting by his Spirit right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I take authority over every yoke of captivity. And by the anointing of God, I destroy it now. Every yoke of sickness, every yoke of addiction, every yoke of depression, every yoke of anxiety, it ends here now. In Jesus' name, I declare it broken and you free. Free forever. And the devil can't do anything about it. You're free. I want you to type that in the comment section. I'm free. I don't care if I feel free. I'm free. I'm free. Not by wishful thinking, but because of the anointing. Bible says Jesus was empowered by the anointing to heal all that were oppressed of the devil. Every oppression of the devil. You're healed of it right now. The devil doesn't get any say in it. You're healed. Wholeness is coming into your life. Completeness is coming into your life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.